When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight, we have a very special guest with us tonight. We have Jim Mellon, all the way from England. Jim is an entrepreneur, and he works with human longevity as well as alternative food products and creating uh, food for the future. So, Jim, uh, I would like to thank you very much for taking the time to come to talk to us today. And as a restaurant guy, I guess I'd like to kind of dive into your new book, Moo's Law, and talk a little bit about food creation and how that is looking like it's going to change. So, can you tell me a little bit about that as as kind of a, an overview of a basic idea? Yeah, sure. Well, thank you both for having me on. Moose, uh, I'm uh, essentially my background is in biotech, and uh, Moose Law, the book that you kindly referred to, is uh, a description of how food can be made and, and materials for that matter can be made in laboratories and using biotech processes, which have been around for a long time. And the, the the thing is that this is no longer science fiction. It's happening now. You know, many companies have got prototypes. Many companies will have us on the market within a year or so. And as usual, most of the best companies come out of the United States, where you have the greatest convergence of venture capital, university research, and uh, entrepreneurship. And so... A lot of the companies that we're involved in are U.S.-based uh, companies. But in a in a very brief nutshell, in 10 years' time, the dairy industry, as you know it and as I know it, and as we remember when we were children growing up, milk from cows, cheese from cows, yogurt from cows, and so forth, will be gone. It will literally be gone. All the milk that will be drunk will be produced in what's called uh precision fermentation laboratory conditions uh, or it will be plant substitute milk like the ones that you're familiar with in the states like almond milk soya milk oat milk rice milk etc and 
Uh, so the entire dairy industry around the world will be no more. That's the first prediction. The second is that the meat that you as the restaurant guy uh, are using, um, half of it around the world will come from lab-produced uh, factories, effectively, or from plant-based meats along the lines of Beyond and Impossible, which you're very familiar with in the United States. So there is a huge revolution underway in the world of food. And you can, uh, you know, people have different reasons for either liking that or opposing it, but it's happening. In terms of liking it, we know, uh, at least most of us know, that climate change is being caused by a variety of things, including transport, um, home heating, things like the manufacture of cement. But the biggest contributor to climate change is intensive farming of animals, because, as you know, cows produce a lot of methane, and that uh, is a big contributor to uh, global warming. In fact, about one-fifth of all global warming can be directly attributed to the way in which we intensively farm animals around the world. So reducing intensive farming of animals is a big plus for the environment. On top of that, you've got 80%, 80% of all antibiotics go into farmed animals. And, you know, we don't want to go through another one of these pandemics. But if we had a pandemic that wasn't viral, that was bacterial, God help us, because, as I said, we're using far too many antibiotics in animals. Those animals are eaten by human beings. They come back, they cause back uh, anti uh, microbial resistance in human beings. And if there was uh, a bacterial disease that evaded um, antibiotics, then we'd have something like the Black Death. And, you know, in the Black Death, somewhere between a third and half the world's population died because there was absolutely no treatment uh, for it. And we could have that, and it could be because of animal-to-human transmission. And indeed, the current pandemic we're in at the moment is the result of what's called zoonosis, which is animal-to-human transmission, as indeed of all pandemics in the last 20, 25 years. So we need to do something to sort out the over-large intensive farming industry, and we need to do it quite quickly. And luckily for us, science is here. So the first wave of this revolution is in plant-based uh, foods. And I think everyone knows that these plant-based foods have got better. Uh, in some cases, you can't tell the difference between a burger produced by Beyond Meat or Impossible Meat and the regular burgers uh, that everyone's familiar with. And you've also, uh, you know, you've got things like the corn in the UK or meatless farms in the UK, which are uh, gaining market share very quickly over here in Europe. Um, so the plant-based revolution is the first one, but then following behind it is the idea that you can make the best of meats, the best of fish, the best of materials in lab conditions, and ultimately you can make them cheaper and of higher quality than the stuff that comes directly from an animal. And we're, we're there. So the reason I call my book Moose Law is because Gordon Moore invented a law 50 years ago when he founded Intel, which said that the price of semiconductors would go down 
and their efficiency would rise on an 18-month cycle, approximately halving in price and doubling in efficiency. And that's remained the same since then. And Moose Law is very similar. It's, in other words, the price of this stuff is coming down rapidly, and the scale is increasing dramatically. So that, that's, that's in a nutshell where we are. They're, they're bold predictions, but it's happening, and uh, you know we need to get used to it. Wow, that's a lot to unpack. Jim, I want to thank you for coming on to share this with us. Knowing Moore's Law um, and how accurate it has been, we've, we've spoken on the show about that previously, so long-term listeners know about Moore's Law. And so for you to say that Moore's Law is, is potentially going to be a lot similar um, really kind of piques my interest and kind of kind of like makes my antenna go up in a way so for me as a father uh the biggest thing when you say that dairy is disappearing is a concern for you know nutrition essentially for children and so knowing absolutely nothing about kind of some of these topics how does that play into the whole dairy situation yeah that's it's a great question so um, milk has a number of ingredients, that's cow's milk, um, but the two most important ones are, are compounds called whey, W-H-E-Y, and casein, C-A-S-S-E-I-N. And companies like Perfect Day from California or NoQuo from Chile have worked out how to produce those exact ingredients in laboratories without reference to cows. And so... If you imagine that, uh, you know, milk is basically water plus these key uh, ingredients, you basically produce the key ingredients and lab, lab laboratory condition now, and you add water. So you, you, you transport the powders of the, the key ingredients around the United States and then ultimately around the world, and you add water wherever it needs to be produced, and you have a perfect replica of milk with all the nutritional content of milk. And you can actually add more nutritional content if you wanted to, uh, so that no one as a parent or anyone else for that matter needs to worry about whether the children are getting an adequate, you know, dairy diet because it's identical. It's, it's exactly the same as they would get from a cow, uh, but not in the, slightly sort of antiquated way in which we use cows at the moment i mean you know the cows don't go out mostly into fields they're fed in feedlots and they're kept constantly pregnant as you probably are aware uh and um their udders become enormous uh because they have to produce milk on a continuous cycle and a lot of them their udders are so big that it breaks their backs and that's why dairy cows have a very short life expectancy compared to cows that were just left out in a field. But you don't need to go through that process anymore. And this, this is why I can absolutely confidently predict that the dairy industry, the first industry which is already being disrupted, your two biggest food uh, dairy uh, producers, which are Borden and Dean Foods in the US, have gone bust in the last year, is going to go. And so nearly a quarter of the US milk market is already alternative. It's already almond. It's already soya. It, uh, those are plant-based uh, milks, as you're probably aware. Uh, that's happened in the last 10 years. 
Uh, so when the exact replica of milk comes along, you know, the, the chances of the dairy industry surviving are literally zero, in my opinion. And, you know, if you're a dairy farmer, you should start producing food for humans to consume because you get much better margins. You know, allow plants, uh, you know, the, for humans to consume. So uh, it, th- this is my number one prediction. The second prediction is that the fish market, I don't know if you guys have watched this Netflix uh, recent documentary called Sea Spiracy. Uh, it's absolutely shocking. It's worth watching if you've got time. But basically, the oceans are overfished. The abuse of sea treasures is incredible. You know, something called bycatch, which is what is picked up alongside the fish that the fishermen actually want to get and then killed unnecessarily is enormous. It's about half of the whole catch. Half of all fish now eaten in the world is farmed, and those fish are fed to a certain extent, at least or to a large extent, um, by wild-caught fish, heavy use of antibiotics, destruction of species, etc. Now, here's a thought, right? In the United States, probably by the end of this year, one of your companies will be selling a mahi-mahi fillet that is identical to the best mahi-mahi fillet because it is a mahi-mahi fillet made in a laboratory. Next year, they'll be doing the same thing with tuna. And uh, it won't have any contaminants like mercury or microplastics or antibiotics or hormones. And it won't be contributing to the destruction of the ocean habitat. So the fish industry within five years will be completely disrupted. I'm not saying that all fish will be uh, produced in lab conditions because they won't, but it will be a high percentage and then we move on to meat. And that's a, that's a tougher one, um, but it's happening quite quickly. The first burger produced by what they call cell ag. And I, just for your listeners' sake, we'll describe what cell ag is. You take a sample from, let's say, a cow if you want beef. And you can do the same with a chicken or lamb or you know any other uh, type of uh, meat. You take a sample. It's the size of my smallest fingernail. And uh, the cow doesn't feel anything. From that sample comes stem cells, which I guess your listeners are familiar with, which are our progenitor cells that differentiate into everything that we're made up of, and the same for an animal. You extract the stem cells that you want. uh, So that would be cells or muscle cells or connective tissue cells. You put them into separate bioreactors, which are big stainless steel containers um, and you bathe them in nutrients which are roughly equivalent to what an animal would eat on a feedlot or out in the field you know the starches proteins amino acids you introduce what are called growth factors which encourage the cells to double and they double quickly and at the end of 40 zero days you get the equivalent of seven or eight cows worth of meat from that one tiny little sample compared to the cows that you know you would rear in order to be slaughtered which would take 28 months to produce the equivalent and that's where we're at that's that's happening now so all these companies have uh, prototypes they have products they have something you can feel taste or whatever and uh it's just a question of scale and execution now And now a word from our sponsor. Let me tell you about the most useful app on my phone. It's hard to find time to sit down to read and learn more. 
When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that helps solve this problem. I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, or with your browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information, from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read to or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or your lunch break or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from the bestseller lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had time to. I've read and or listened to these books and highly recommend you check them out. The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, as well as The 7 Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com IFB, try it for free for seven days, and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com IFB to start your seven-day free trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com IFB. That, that is amazing. So I'm not going to lie. You're, you're selling me on this. So I, I came into this a little skeptical. I'm not going to lie because as, as a restaurant, per, restaurant person who worked with food for a long time, this sounded a little bit sci-fi-y, if you will. But uh, I, 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 you know, everything that you're laying out here sounds extremely logical. So uh, as somebody who has worked with food, appearance is important. So I guess for somebody that's not familiar with this, does the steak that's grown in the laboratory look the same as the one that you buy at the grocery store? Yeah, that's another great question. So the answer is no. And so in in terms of meat, in the United States, 60%, 60% of all the meat that you guys eat is ground. So it's in the form of sausages or burgers or you know whatever way you eat ground meat so only 40 percent is in the form of structured meat so you know the familiar steak or the lamb chop uh, that sort of thing Uh, that is much harder to do to produce that and that will be some years away but the ground meat uh, we're here and now all right so that's the big low-hanging fruit in terms of meat and I mean, I just want to tell you that also, if you're thinking about meat, think about leather, all right? So, um, you know, why, where does leather come from? Well, the best ultra quality leather comes from, uh, you know, made into handbags as an example, or accessories, best belts or whatever, comes from uh, calves. And most of them are grown in Austria, of all places, because the calves can't be anywhere near barbed wire uh, insects that might affect the you know the way in which their uh, hide looks once it's been tanned and so it's a fiddly old business but it's a very lucrative business anyway there's a company again a US company 
which is uh, producing leather in the laboratory. And it's producing it. It's identical to the best quality leather. But the great thing about it is that you can make that leather in any size you want. Uh, you could make it the size of a house. But at the moment, the size of the hide is the determining uh, point as to how big that piece of leather can be. So this is magnificent. And of course, the leather comes out of the lab. It is identical. It is leather. It's not some sort of GM or Frankenstein type product. And it comes out of the lab and it doesn't have any hair on it because you only extract the stem cells to produce the leather, not to produce the hair. And uh, so the tanning process is only one tenth of the process of you know regular leather. And tanning is a really environmentally destructive thing and expensive as well so you know we're not just producing uh food ranging from any type of food that's related to an animal but we're also producing materials so leather threads uh, cotton you name it it can be produced in a laboratory and it can be produced much more efficiently and cheaply without environmental destruction so super exciting area most people have no idea about it so two-part question to this, and then maybe after we can move on to some of the effects on companies in the food industry for investors with with investments in there. Uh, first, with you mentioned the leather. Um, does the leather retain that nice smell coming from a lab? And then are there characteristics, because you mentioned dairy, you mentioned me talking about materials. Do they share characteristics in the sense that like they will all look the same or they will all... S- is every alternative slightly different in taste, texture, appearance, um, and other characteristics, or are they all kind of uniquely different from their kind of generic version? Mm, that's a good one. So basically, in terms of leather, yes, because it is leather. It's not uh, faux leather. It's real leather. It retains the smell that's familiar to all of us. You get into a new car, you smell that you know, new leather scent that is retained. Uh, in terms of the meats, um, basically, I don't know if you know this, but one in six people in America every year, the figure is high in Europe as well, but not quite as high, has to seek medical treatment because of food poisoning. Mm-hmm. And most of that food poisoning comes from contaminated meat. And so the meat that comes out of these labs will never be contaminated. It's not genetically modified in any way. It's the best of the best of any species that you care to have. So, you know, you get the best chicken from which you take your sample. You get the best cow from which you take your sample. Um, And you could produce, if you want, Wagyu beef, or you could produce, uh, you know, uh, Aberdeen Angus beef. You can produce any type of beef you want, but based on the donor of the uh, cells and um, so yes, the tastes will be the best of the best of any particular species that any company uh, chooses to make. Uh, and the same in seafood, you know. As I said, uh, a company is called Blue Nalu. It's based in San Diego, and its uh, first thing is mahi mahi. Now we're not familiar with mahi mahi here in Europe, but apparently it's a big thing in the United States. Um, but then obviously tuna, we're very familiar with it. It's a very expensive fish, and that's the next one out of the stocks they can literally take based on the platform technology any type of fish and produce it without 
the waste. You know, you don't you don't extract the stem cells to produce the scales, the eyes, the head, the tail, or the entrails. You just extract the stem cells needed to produce the bits that people want to eat, which is the the fillet. And the same with meat. You don't produce the you know the tail, the head, the whatever bits we don't eat or typically don't eat are not made. And uh, so there's no waste. The yield is very high, in other words. Yeah, that's and that's incredible, especially for people that are working on the, the, the restaurant side of it. The, the better yield you get, the, the more money that they can make. So uh, let's, I guess, shift now and talk a little bit about how does somebody get invested in this? How do we how do we participate in this as it goes forward? Yeah, that's uh, OK. That's a the million dollar question. So basically, yeah. there are uh, at the moment no. Uh, companies of this type that are public in the United States or anywhere else for that matter. And But in Moose Law, I list every single one of the companies as of the end of, well, January, basically, or yeah, around January, and provide all the details for people to contact them if they want to. I also rank them according to the ones that I think have got a better chance of economic success than the ones that don't. Um, so anyone who's seriously interested in investing might want to have a look at Moose Law. And by the way, all the money from Moose Law goes to the charity, the Good Food Institute, which is an advocacy group for this industry. So I, I don't make any money out of this. And but we did uh, we did uh, put uh, London uh, listed companies, so a company listed on the London Stock Exchange called Agronomics, up a couple of years ago, and I'm the biggest investor in that. And that invests in many American companies, but companies in the UK and Israel in Asia, the Holland, Holland is another big uh, country for this. And uh, that, that stock has done extremely well. So I think it's up five or six times since it was listed. It's not exactly Tesla, but it's <laughs> gone up a lot. Uh, and, and so that's the only way that I know that uh, investors who may not have many millions to invest can invest in this area. But I've got no doubt that some of these, you know, the high performing companies in the US and I'll just tell you which ones I think at, in the United States are the highest performing potential performers. You've got Memphis Meats, you may have heard of, um, Blue Nalu, which is the fish company. You've got Vitro Labs, the leather company. You've got Eat Just, which is part plant based. It's a big line of um, egg substitutes in the United States and then part cell ag base of producing chicken nuggets in a in a laboratory those are the ones i think are more likely to go public in the u.s in the relatively near future so investors should really watch out for them and you know let's just put this in terms of a market size if you take meat dairy seafood and you add the materials i mentioned which are cotton leather threads collagen together the total addressable size of that is five trillion dollars or about two times the size of the uk economy uh nearly four times the size of the spanish economy and about a quarter the size of the u.s economy it's a huge market it's bigger than the electric vehicle market as an example so it's massive because every single day we need to eat food and um Every single day, we use one or other of these materials. So this is a non-trivial market. This is vast 
And the big food companies are getting interested in it. So the Tysons, the Cargills, the Unilever, Nestle, Danone, those sort of companies are, are very interested in this area. And some of them are making investments because, frankly speaking, I'm not saying that they don't care, but they are agnostic about where the food comes from as long as it's legal and as long as people want to buy it. So they, they are investing in this area to hedge their bets, basically. So that was actually going to be my next question. Um, I'm a long-term shareholder of Hormel. And so what it sounds like to me, so in Hormel's case, I know they have a lot of different kind of stakes in the fire. It sounds to me like what you're saying is it, it, it's going to depend on the company. And for a lot of these more traditional food companies like a Hormel or a Tyson, um, if they really don't care where it comes from, then as long as their business model is is more kind of in the middle of the value chain and more just kind of slapping a label on it, that they should be able to adjust to these tailwinds. Whereas someone like a Dean Foods who went bankrupt last year is not able to adjust, which I I was familiar with Dean Foods. I didn't know exactly what they did as a business model, but was it maybe Dean Foods was more on the production side, whereas some of the other survivors... Um, are kind of more in the middle of the value chain. How do you see that as kind of the industry expert here? Well, I would say that the companies that are involved in essentially marketing and distributing and manufacturing are more likely to survive than those that are rearing animals and you know in a very capital-intensive way. And uh, I don't know about Hormel specifically. I do know that Hormel was one of the factors in the Second World War that helped the UK because you made uh, Hormel made spam. <laughs> yeah. And uh, spiced ham, I think it stands for. And but I, I don't know about that particular uh, company, but it's, uh, you know, I think if you're a market like Unilever is a good example. I think it's one of the world's biggest. It is the world's biggest food company. And uh, it basically is a marketing and distribution company. So one way of looking at this is to say that, you know, I'm in the uh, pharmaceutical biotech business is that the big pharma companies like Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson typically buy in innovation. They, they look at little biotech companies and they see something exciting. They buy the company and then they act as the marketing and distribution arm around the world. A uh, good example is Pfizer buying the vaccine from BioNTech in Germany. You know, the Pfizer didn't develop uh, the vaccine that's being used in the U.S. and elsewhere around the world. It was developed by the German company. But they've come to an agreement and they split the economics of it. And I think the same thing will happen with this food. And the great thing about cell ag as opposed to plant-based foods is that, you know, the three of us could set up a plant-based food company tomorrow, call it whatever we want, and uh, go out there and try and sell it. It's a marketing game. It doesn't have a high IP. Typically, it doesn't have a high IP element to it. But in cell ag, you know, it's a... They, they have patent estates. They have their way of protecting their moat. And that's why we like it better than the plant-based stuff typically. So I'm, I think that some of these companies um, will be bought by the big food companies for their in, innovative technology. And the big food companies will do what they do, which is to go out and sell it to Safeway, Kroger, etc. in the US and you know, in the UK, Tesco and our equivalents, basically. That, yeah, that totally makes a lot of sense. And, and really, this is a fascinating discussion. I want to thank you for your time, Jim. 
Um, if people out there are wanting to learn more about this topic, learn more about you, um, you mentioned your book, where would you recommend people go if they're very interested in this? Well, there is a website, and thank you for um, asking that question. There is a website called mooslaw.com, and uh, they can go there, and we put up you know, interesting articles or news that, um, that talks about this whole industry. And then we also recommend the Good Food Institute, which is based in Washington, which has lots and lots of, um, you know, seminars and educational stuff on its website and is a good organization to get tuned into if you believe that there is a revolution going on. And uh, I certainly believe it. And, you know, Everyone has their own motivations, but we haven't eaten meat in our household for a long, long time. And that's because we are we're committed animal lovers. But other people have different um, you know, views. But ultimately, the consumer will determine whether this is successful or not. And it would be according to whether it's convenient. Uh, its texture is the same as they used to. The taste is the same. Uh, but most importantly, the price. And so, you know, the price has got to come down to a level that people can afford and also that uh, is comparable to conventional foods. And that's why I'm very excited about this because I, I think that will happen faster than people expect. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Jim, for coming and talking to us today. Uh, we really appreciate all the insights that you shared with us, as well as all the great knowledge and everything about to sell ag and everything that's going on with that. I, I agree with you. I think it's a it's a fantastic opportunity, and and uh, you're you're converting me. I'm not going to lie. So, um, great, I appreciate you. Taking, <laughs> I appreciate oh, I, you taking I really, the time. I've really enjoyed talking to you both, and thank you so much for the good questions and for having me on. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yep. You thanks. You have a you have a good day, Jim, and uh, and take care. Thank you very much. Bye bye bye. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank Jim again for taking the time to come talk to us. That was amazing. We learned a ton of stuff. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.